0: Hi, this is Tim Winter. Welcome to What Would Dave Do? A digital conversation exploring the leadership experience. You can listen to it at timwinner.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to What Would Dave Do? Podcast exploring the leadership experience today in the studio i have jonathan hensley he is the ceo at emerge uh i think it's emerge technology maybe it's just emerge um i met jonathan through my day job and you know there's sometimes you just meet people and you just have uh an an alignment and you're able to have a very easy conversation and uh and that's what happened when i met jonathan and uh Really, really enjoyed all the conversations that I've had with him and invited him to be a guest on the show, and he graciously
1: accepted. So, Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Tim. I've really been looking forward to this. I don't know why I mess up your your company
0: name. I, I can't just say <laughs> Merge. <laughs>
1: It's okay. It's okay. We, all of our conversations are, we just go in so many directions. We don't talk about the company much. So that's, that's no big deal.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, it's so funny because you and I were talking and I don't remember. It was like, I brought up something about alignment and then to find out you're the author of a book called Alignment, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, Yeah,
1: it's, that book has been quite the journey in, in the making, I have to say.
0: So how did it happen? Well, you know, it's funny. Everybody says they're going to write a book. And I am a firm believer everybody has a book in them. But I think the execution rate is a, is very low. And so for the fact that you actually did it and it's out there and it's selling and it's available, is pretty amazing.
1: Well, I'll have to tell you a little bit of, of a story here, Tim. So there about 10 years ago or so now, I was sitting in a conference room with a client and the tension in that room was just unbelievable we had been working on this project for about six months and the team was frustrated and overwhelmed and disappoint disappointed and these are people that i had known for years i'd been to dinners with them i'd been to kid birthday parties and just this clash started to happen in very quickly in the room, we realized that the project had lost its sense of purpose. The vision for what we were doing uh, was was misaligned and we were set up for failure and people were scrambling and they were scared. They were worried about their jobs and their careers. And it was like, what were we going to do to get things back on track? And this was just a pivotal moment for me when I became obsessed with wanting to understand why great companies, why great products and great teams fail so often with the best of intentions. And so I became obsessed with this idea of understanding failure. And that was the genesis for wanting to write a book that was going to be all about failure. And what happened is I started to interview all of these amazing people that I had the opportunity to connect with, from senior leadership roles to product leaders, engineering leaders, design leaders, um, across all of these different companies from all over the world. And one theme of those that were successful and were, you know, basically defying the odds, and they were successful not just once, but multiple times throughout their career was this underlying theme of alignment and so instead of writing a book about failure i was like the, the real story that needs to be told is about defining what alignment is and why it's such a critical element for successful leadership
0: and and so when you do you explore like uh, and i haven't read your book yet um have you, but do you explore alignment across like alignment with product, alignment with people, alignment with ideas? I mean, can we can we go a little deeper on that?
1: Absolutely. So because everybody always
0: says, oh, we're not aligned, but I don't I, know if they really know what it means.
1: Well, and I think this is the the crux of I think why the book was such an important piece for to work on for me and became such a passion project, was because You're right. We talk about alignment all the time in business. We talk about misalignment all the time, but rarely is it defined. And so when researching this book, I realized nobody really brought very much definition to this. What is it that we're really looking for? And through that, we were able to really codify that there's four specific types of alignment that we have to pay attention to to be successful. And so the first one is really about individual alignment. It's understanding how our work matters, why what we're doing um, makes a difference, and what the impact of our contribution really means to the team, the organization, to the customers that we're serving. And so we have to pay attention to that individual level. And then team alignment really deals with... Um, the integration of our unique disciplines and experiences and perspectives and how we uh, solve problems and how we create value as a team uh, in our organizations and to serve serve others. And the third is organizational alignment, which really deals with how do we build alignment that reflects the organization's larger vision, strategic priorities, taking into consideration our resources and constraints that we have um, as an organization. And the fourth one is market alignment, which is really all about understanding your customers and the problem that you want to solve for them and impact that you want to have on their lives or the way that they uh, work. And so really looking at those individually, you can look at then how you create high performance empowered organizations that are led um, through and through um, from the external all the way through the internal of how you build a high performance culture that really connects and resonates with your, with your teams.
0: So you go out, yeah, I know you do quite a bit of speaking and, uh, you know, you're considered a, a product expert, um, not considered you are <laughs> a product <laughs> expert.
1: Um,
0: but, but it, I, and I'm assuming that you go out and you speak about alignment and, when people come up to you afterwards, or after you've done a keynote, or are just in your research, or in just in your conversations around this, is there is there one uh, weak link in the chain? Is there one of the four that that people struggle with the most, or is it across the board, or or does that even?
1: Oh, it's a really good question. I would say the the number one issue that we usually see and hear from people is this lack of alignment with their customers mm-hmm. so i'll meet uh you know whether it's a startup or you know a you know a fortune 500 company you know talking to leaders is they're struggling to find that alignment they understand you know a lot about their customers but they not necessarily have they been able to build that resonance or that alignment of like what is the value that we need to create? And how do we introduce, deliver and reinforce that value? And when I talk about value, I don't just mean like, what's the widget? I mean, thinking about holistically, like, what's the customer experience that we deliver? What is how do we actually tap into their needs? If They're looking at, you know, the need for connection is a really good one that I like to talk about a lot. You know, connection is such a A fundamental thing that we all seek in our lives and our relationships and that the solution for that has been evolving tremendously right we used to start with um you know uh uh people who would travel and you know messengers and the path along those things and then we had the pony express and then we had the the telegraph and then the telephone and then the you know email and now we have social media and all of these tools And fundamentally, the value that they're enabling is connection, the ability to connect with others. And we've just accelerated that. But the actual value of these things hasn't changed fundamentally from a human perspective, but we've innovated how to do it better and better. And so it becomes so important, especially for leaders, to understand What is that essential human value that we're delivering when we are solving this kind of problem for our customer? And so I find that that is one of the biggest areas of misalignment. The second one is, is really interesting too, which is usually how do you enable alignment internally? And usually it starts with having a really clear vision. And I think vision and strategy is where we see a lot of confusion happen as well. And so that would be the second. Uh, biggest pain point that we hear from people.
0: I, I love that. And I love that. I love vision work. Um, we're doing a little bit of that right now, uh, or I'm working a little bit on that right now. And it's it's always so interesting to me. Um, one of the ones that I always, I love, and, and I it's a great example of why it's important. Um, like the Oregon Food Bank, their mission is to end hunger. That's it. So everything that they do, every time they have a meeting, if they're going to go spend $20 million on a warehouse, there's one question to ask, will it help end hunger? Will it help in service of our mission? And that is when your mission really becomes the flagpole and not the flag. But there's so many companies out there and and you can correct me if that's a bad example, but um, there's so many companies out there that use that their mission is the flag. And it's whipping in the wind. (laughs) And then they wonder why they don't have alignment. Well, you haven't planted it. You don't have a true north. And every question and every decision you make goes around that. I was going to ask you about the... Is connection the same as a relationship? With with like a brand or a connection with a product or relationship with a product? Is it the same?
1: I think connection and relationships are different, right? Connection... Is, is, a, is about how we enable something. I would say that it's it's mo- it's different when you think about a relationship, right? A relationship is an exchange. And uh, a connection is not always a, a one-to-one exchange between ah. uh, two people. And I think it's important to, to understand that nuance. And, you know, when we think about connection... You know, we can be connected to something without having a direct relationship. So let's use your example of of the Oregon Food Bank. I can be connected to that purpose. I can find resonance with that. That doesn't mean I have a relationship with them. You can even contribute to
0: it without a relationship. Like you can donate food. You can, but yeah, okay.
1: That's absolutely. I, you know, another, another, I think, example of, of this, when you talk about You know, I think vision and and your strategy are really, it's the tip of the spear of how you can build alignment. And, you know, what we're talking about gets down to, you know, developing a shared purpose and a shared understanding of what we're doing. It helps bring focus, like you said, to decision-making. It helps the team unleash their creativity to solve the problem. If we're going to end hunger, what different ways could we approach doing that? Are we directly, you know, feeding those in need, or are we are we enabling, you know, by bar- buying a warehouse the infrastructure so that all of the different organizations and folks can, you know, collaborate effectively to to end that hunger? There's so many facets to it, and it really starts to to bring this incredible and palpable focus. You know, if you have that kind of clarity, um, it's just this incredibly Powerful tool for aligning the organization, the team down to the individual level, and oftentimes it's left to be aspirational or inspirational, but it's not specific enough. And I can give another example uh, of that, which um, one of my favorites is the Kindle, the uh, Amazon's Kindle. You know their their product vision is every book ever made in any language all available in under 60 seconds. Wow. And that kind of clarity and precision that they bring to how they think about product is um, really a masterclass for for anybody who is in a leadership role because that allows, one, I'll, I'll emphasize, that's not about Amazon, right? That vision is about their customers. What they're providing their customers. So it's, it's customer centric. And then second of all, it gives everybody in any role in the organization. I don't care if you're in HR, or you're in finance or you're anybody that's tied to that product understands what we're trying to accomplish. And it creates a whole pathway for innovation and creativity and the ability to think about how we make those decisions. And so that is, that is the most often point outside of understanding the customer's need or the opportunity there, you know, then bringing that clarity into the organization so you can really ensure that um, everybody is set up for success.
0: I love that one, too, because it's it's so it's easy to measure. So that you can see your scorecards, you you can see your wins, right? Like it's an, it's, I think they have to be measurable, right? I mean, you have to be able to see how you're doing against your, against your goal or or your mission.
1: Well, and that's exactly it. I think oftentimes they being aspirational or more goal oriented and one of the most common, you know, things that I see is that, you know, the vision or the goal becomes somehow it's about the company's revenue. It's about what's in it for them. Yep. And, and that's completely disconnected from the purpose of, a, of, you know, a product that is creating value for a customer by providing that value. That's what generates revenue. That's what generates success that, you know, and so we're looking at the wrong indicator when we think about vision and how we empower a team and that, why that misalignment is so often happens. And there's, you know, dozens and dozens of ripple effects that happen um, in organizations that are struggling when you see that um and that specificity that ability to measure progress i mean you think about these are these are not like quick one and done uh, endeavors these are things that take years if not decades to to maybe achieve we need to show the team and the team needs to be able to see how they're making a difference It inspires them for their work it, it keeps them engaged and motivated and you know when you think about the the importance of having an engaged team that can bring their best day in and day out to their work that specificity and that measurability is becomes paramount
0: wow so so let me ask you this if so since writing the book or since you started your career to be in a ceo now how has your philosophy about leadership changed over the years or has it
1: Well, I think it's evolved dramatically. I mean, I've been influenced by so many people, and I think the, you know, when I started off in my career, which was a long time ago, you know, there's (laughs) there was not that long. (laughs) It feels like a long time. Um, The, you know, it was still very common that I think the there was this idea that you know leaders had to have the answers. That leaders had uh, to, you know, um, always be, you know, um, at their best. And there wasn't um, any space for vulnerability or making mistakes. And I think I learned early on that that's wrong. That, you know, great leaders um, are those that ask, you know, they're hungry and continuous learners. They ask great questions. They practice empathy in understanding, they seek truth, um, and and versus uh, verification of their own ideas. And what they're really focused on is how do they empower and build a team that does that as well, so they can operate in fulfilling that vision together. And I think what I've really tried to develop for myself as a better understanding of how to be that kind of servant leader. That one that enables teams and you know supports the clients and the people that I even coach uh, to really understand how to be in a more effective leader through listening and verification and really bringing that empathy forward on top of their expertise and their experience, which is incredibly important, but is rarely the answer to many of the questions that we have to answer in our business.
0: yeah yeah that um that evolution of you know because when you're first starting out in your career you you have these influences that that influence you and sometimes you're lucky and you get a, you you know you get to work with somebody who just like your mind just expla- expands I, I had that in my career cuz i had worked for very different people and then i met this this man, his name is John Alderson. And he was so different. And his views, because, you know, he was a, a, a student of, uh, of Jim Collins and knew Jim Collins and back in the good to great and really talked about level five leadership. And I remember the first time I, he did this exercise where he sat us all around a table and he said, what is your job at Hollywood and what are three things you do every day to make that happen? What he was trying to get to is that we didn't have a, a clear, a, a clear vision, but, but this was the exercise. And it was so interesting how, you know, the response was, well, I, you know, hire and fire people. I, <laughs> yeah, it was this, it was the, the my mind was just blown. And I'm still friends with him today. In fact, I'm very proud of the fact that he was the first guest ever on this podcast. Um he was a mentor to both Dave and I and I I'm so fortunate that he entered my life at the time he did because he changed the path, the, the trajectory of my career forever and the way that I looked at leadership. It was it was it, it was that big of a it was like a meteorite hitting <laughs> is, is what it was into my career. And, and it's, I think it's interesting sometimes when you can be that, or when, when you get that opportunity or you can maybe be that meteor, uh, and change the directory because I love the way you look at leadership. I know you, you don't, you know, you see yourself more on the you know, the, the computer nerd spectrum, but I think (laughs) in my conversations with you that you really do embody this, uh, you know, level five leadership and that you are, you know, super smart in your approach to it. And that you create a, what, what I call it is a heroic environment. You create a heroic environment where people can do their best work. And the only way you can create a heroic environment is if
1: people feel safe yeah it's, and they have psychological you know, it's, safety exactly and, and i i mean that's perfectly said you know there's there's so much great work out there talking about that psychological safety but you know hearing your story made me think you know my my uh, meteor moment in where i found that connection for me was actually when i had the opportunity to meet um stephen M. R. covey um so most people are familiar with his father's work. Uh, he wrote, you know, like seven habits of highly effective people. His, uh, son has carried on this legacy. Uh, and he wrote an incredible book called the speed of trust. And so I had an opportunity, uh, to, to meet him. And we had breakfast, uh, one day and just the, some people just embody this natural leadership that you're just enthralled by. And he, he's, completely reset my perspective on what great great leaders represent and how they do it um and uh that that changed the trajectory of of my career and certainly redefined my my vision of, of what great leaders uh should should be um if uh if at all possible
0: isn't that funny though i i, I say it all the time and You would think that we don't need another book on leadership, yet you hear the (laughs) horror stories out there all the time. And it's amazing to me how people struggle with managing people. And maybe, you know, again, I've had, you know, maybe it's a, uh, yeah, I've been doing it for so long, it just comes natural. Um, But I, I just am always amazed at some of the horror stories that I hear, uh, as I go out and I do speaking engagements or I talk to people or I work with companies and I've just, I'm just like, there's so much information out there right now to, to tell you what's more effective yet. People still choose a different path. It's fascinating to me.
1: Well, I think it's one, it's extremely hard and, you know, or it can be for, for many. And, you know, I remember, While working on the book, I had this opportunity to meet, um, his name's Dan Cable. He's one of the leading neuroscientists uh, in in the world. He teaches at the London Business School. And we were talking about this, you know, leadership and alignment. And he was like, you know, that's actually, there's a, uh, you know, we think about these things as, you know, Uh, being kind of people or psychological needs or being a good leader. And he's like, Do you actually know that alignment is is biological, that we're actually wired as, as, you know, to look for this connection to understand cause and effect. And, you know, really, it just blew my mind that the level of understanding that is to your point is developing around these practices, is just incredible right now. And there is a, and a plethora <laughs> of material. But I think what happens for some, and Dan and I were having this conversation is it's almost like, you know, it's information overload. And then it becomes somewhat almost analysis paralysis. It's like, okay, well, I need to be a better leader. So where should I focus? What do I do next? And it feels it's very overwhelming. And so we default to our, you know, what we know, Especially if we're moving really fast or maybe we're managing, you know, some fires or a crisis. And so we we, go, we shift back to our defaults where we haven't built the, the muscle yet to act in the way that we want to. And I think that that's one of the, the facets that I find extremely interesting in developing leaders is to understand that we are building muscles when we have to maintain those things as well. So we don't get to practice empathy once and then come back to it three years later. We don't get right. to talk to customers about their problem and then, you know, that's good enough. You know, we did it once. Why do we need to do, ever do it again? We know our customer better than anybody else because we we built the best product, you know, to solve that, you know, or fill that need. It's like, no, people are evolving. Trends are changing. Technology is shifting. Like, these are all things that these are muscles we need to be using and practicing in order to have the responses that we want and to be effective. And whether we know it or not, our teams and people are watching all the time. And, you know, they're, they're interpreting our response is to the appropriate response of what we expect. And so if we're hyper emotional about things, are we looking chaotic or are we, or do we come across as passionate? Could be, it's in the eye of the beholder. So building those muscles and really making sure that we're intentional about things uh, and, you know, in practicing, you know, some of these fundamental aspects of, you know, bringing clarity to our organizations and empowering people become, you know, this element that embodies great leadership that is just, it's, it's not always intuitive.
0: Yeah, I think you hit it. I think I think you hit it. I think it's it's hard work. And I, I remember I was doing some consulting work for a company, and they said, "Tim, you make this sound really easy." And I said, "Oh, then I've got to start over <laughs> because, <laughs> because it's not." I, I I remember back in the day when I would travel stores and you know, you only get a short amount of time in a, when you're running a, you know, a, a 3000 store chain, there were stores I never saw, even though I was the chief operating officer of the company. And so that's just the way it is. But when you did see it, when you did, like I used to leave my cell phone in the car and it was to like, I would only have a mo you know, one moment and to be able to be, but I would, I remember getting back to my hotel room at the end of the night, and just being completely spent, exhausted. And when I thought about, it's not like I was physically working hard, but it's that energy of being present. Because they're looking forward to see. To your point, they're always watching you, right? And if I come into a store and I've flown all the way from wherever to wherever, and I walk in and I'm preoccupied and I'm on my phone and I'm, I'm stressed out and I, and I'm exhibiting that. What does that communicate? And so to go in, regardless of what's happening and still be present and still be engaged and still care what's happening in a store somewhere in Lubbock, Texas, that's a lot of work. It is just are are for you. You got to go up and, you know, on countless stages and talk about your book or talk about alignment. And it, it's, you it's finding that of course, I, I think it energizes you. So I think, you know, that certainly helps. And for me, I just genuinely like people. I, I can engage with almost anyone. I just I really find people fascinating and I, I and it, for me it's a joy to be able to come in and hear what they're working on or what they're about or to, in that case to see their excitement around their store and what they were creating because mm. I used to tell them you can create a wow experience how how powerful is that in the world of retail which is pretty mediocre you can create a wow experience as long as you're falling towards the customer you're not going to ever get in trouble with me so create that wow experience cuz everything else is mediocre i mean you go through a drive through you're happy if you you get a straw if you get a straw <laughs> and napkins yeah. you're like wow that was an amazing experience cuz the yeah. bar is so low so create a wow well, create and you're empowered to do that and that takes a lot of energy
1: it does take a lot of energy and i think you know, you you hit it right on the head. It's it's about experience, though, right? Whether you're focused on right. vision or you're working, you know, in a, in a store, being present. You know the the difference uh, of you know making sure you address everybody that you meet with a smile. Yeah, right. Those little things that that have such profound impact on you know the engagement or the experience somebody has of working with you are you positive? Are you pessimistic? Are you trying to, you know, is this somebody that I can trust? Is this somebody I can collaborate with? Is this somebody that I can count on? You know, these are all elements of us being able to be successful in our careers. And I think when I speak about, you know, often either alignment, um, or around product and product leadership in, in how to drive growth, especially for early stage companies, It's like, it's not about getting it all right, but it's about, you know, very intentionally getting out of your own way and staying present with the problems that you're needing to solve and really understanding that you have the capability to solve something uh, of incredible value with your unique perspective and experience. But you need to make sure that you do it in such a way that it is resonates with who you're serving and that is is very difficult i mean i remember growing up in silicon valley here's a good good example there it was always very well known that steve jobs was you know going to be one of the coffee shops in palo alto it was very commonplace in one of the you know stories and I've, i've never met him so i can't you know say this from my experience, but you could, you, he would be there in the corners of competition watching how people use the technology. Mm. And he was a constant observer. And, you know, whether you are a huge fan of Apple and, and his work or not, you know, what you can say and what, you know, it is is well known is his obsession with that customer experience, those touch points and that uh, observation of, how are people interacting with these things how do we create change do we need to innovate you know just a little to make it just better enough that it resonates and makes this new technology or this new thing accessible to the world and then he knew how to you know add on great marketing and all of these other things but it that that clarity that he had going back to vision and understanding and that observation and customer experience, you know, those were cornerstones in, in his own success. Um, and you see that whether it was interviews with people who knew him or, you know um, within the tech community for, for those of um, us that, you know, followed uh, his career and it's. Well, it,
0: go ahead. I, I was oh, going to say, it's always, it's always, to me, it's always what I found fascinating is in, I think there's a story out there about how much he hated blackberries, um, <laughs> but uh, how other people were trying to improve the keyboard, like a mechanical keyboard, right? And uh, other phone manufacturers, and it, and Apple just went this completely like like we're not going to improve a bad process. I think there's a great story you probably know this about why he wouldn't put flash. On um, on Apple products because he just thought it was a horrible technology, and it, and and it ended up
1: he he made the right bet. Do you do you know that story? I I know it, Brie. I know it. I know pieces of it. I yeah, I, you know. And in, in all fairness, I don't know the whole story, but you're you're absolutely right. I mean, he made the big push of saying no to Flash and pushing towards HTML five, um, and you know more not being dependent on a you know singular technology but in enabling a technology that could be universal um, because and, he knew you know, it was you know, a better
0: experience right i mean yeah, it, just, it was just a better experience and everybody was yeah. jumping on this bandwagon and he ju- it was yeah that commitment to the user experience even the packaging i mean even if you go really just tactical even just the packaging i remember buying a macintosh way back when i'll age myself now <laughs> And yeah, that packaging and the way that thing came out of the box and basically you plugged it in and it worked. I mean, it was because it was a pretty sophisticated machine back then.
1: Yeah. And it it was incredible. Yeah. I mean, I was early. I mean, my first Apple was an Apple II. I mean, to age myself. So, and then. After that, getting into the Macintosh, and it was, you know, the actual usability of that was, was incredible, um, you know. And it's amazing how little innovations, you know, make such transformative impact. I mean, one of the things, one of my favorite little stories about really thinking about the customer and how to create value is actually a story about Microsoft in, in Microsoft Word. Is you know we all t- might take it for granted today, but that little red squiggly line that shows you that something's misspelled, you know, right. is that was an innovation um, out of constraint, you know, where they were trying to get Windows and and the uh, Apple products to to match, and they were going to miss some deadlines, and they're like, how do we create real value for the user in this next you know uh, release of the product? And they're like, you know what? let's let's add this little squiggling line that shows people that they've misspelled a word and it completely transformed word processing you know and so it doesn't have to be big things but it's about looking at how people engage and really that that empathy of, of understanding and putting ourselves in the shoes of customers and they completely revolutionized the industry and made people feel really stupid no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I live and die by that red squiggly line. I got to be honest; I'm a horrible speller. But I, you know, so maybe maybe they were targeting Me people. Me too. Like I you. mean, usually I,
0: when I'm done writing a blog, it's all red. <laughs> <laughs> but, but isn't that, that is, that's a that's a really interesting yeah. story? I I had no idea. That's right. I did. Yeah. You know what? I, I'll even go farther than that. I never thought about it. It's so intuitive, but that yeah. think about that. there was a lot of thought went into that.
1: A lot of thought went into something so simple that now we would we just take for granted, right? It's in the background of how we work. And so you know that kind of understanding is is just incredible. I remember when researching the book, I heard a great story from uh, somebody that used to work at Microsoft on their their team, you know, and it was really talking about um, how you know getting you know your ego out of the way, where there was this you know, and this happens a lot of organizations, you you know, there's a obsession with headcount, and it was more like, well, no, it's not about um, headcount, it's about you know, uh, what do we need to actually create value, and if we're if we've become too big. In a team we lose you know our ability to be you know potentially more agile or more creative we're focused we're now focusing on the wrong things and i think that um you know those types of uh you know just reminders when you're building something is also really important um you know that that's a that's not a metric that drives value and so you know, again, from a leadership perspective, it's like, how do we set that aside? Of course, you know, I, I want to grow and have a bigger team, but is that really a measure of success? Um, most of the time, and you know, it's not. It's really about what is the quality of people and how have I empowered them to do the things that I need them to do? Uh, and you know, if I can do that, I'm going to have a more successful business.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that, that just dovetails beautifully with just creating that heroic environment. And, you know, the other thing about it, it uh, I could go on and on and on, but it, it just, there's so many, fa- it makes your recruiting easier. I hear companies all the time complaining about that. Well, if you, you've got to look inward sometimes, why is recruiting hard for you? <laughs> maybe, maybe there's a few steps, you know, yeah. a, a, a look at, look at the, your company holistically. Yeah. Would you I want mean, to work there? That's you know, a question I always ask myself when I, when I interview people, I say, would I work for them? It's my number one question. Well, I have two questions. Would I work for them And well, three, would I work for him? Would I let them drive my car? And would I invite them to my house for Christmas Eve? And if I can say yes to those three things, I would probably hire them.
1: Those are great questions. I love those. All I, I, I'll i add one that that I always think about, and that that hap- that's from if I if I was coming into a company, I would want to make sure that they understand how is the work that they're asking me to do going to make an impact on the company and for the customer.
0: Ah. Uh. S- spoken so, like a true product guy
1: <laughs> <laughs> i you know it, it's the foundation of that individual alignment you know where i've, yeah. I've realized and in, in learning from you know my own mistakes and my, you know my own successes as as much as doing the research for the book is how important that that through line really is because you know oftentimes you know we need people to be self starters right we need them to be able to, you know, every day help us move forward just a little bit more. And that understanding of, of that, you know, day to day is so easily lost in the chaos of the workday and just life, right? You know, we, we work right. our tails off and then we go back to our partners or to if we have kids, you know, we're, we're you know, taking care of them, we're doing all of these other things in life. And we gotta, you know, when we come back, do we understand? Okay, today, what what am I here to achieve? And that's why I love it when a company has that that clarity. And I think it's also why we see that that's where outside of the customer, what customers value and what they need from their product or services is this misalignment internally that starts with: is there really a clear vision of what we're all here to achieve?
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, so often companies don't want to slow down to really define that. They just want to keep going. You know, I always say, oh, the good news is where you're making really good time. The bad news is you have no idea where you're going and just slowing down to really figure out that it, it provides, cause you can man, you know, you find yourself just managing things all day long rather than growing your business. If you don't have that clarity and then that clarity has to be consistent. You as a leader have to be consistent in communicating that.
1: Yeah. I love modeling. Be stubborn on vision and uh, be flexible on the details. Right. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's, it's, you know, again, it's just, it's so pointed and well said, you know, we, we need to make sure that those things are clear. So we know what we're there to do. Um, and then everything else I had larry, falls into place
0: i had larry plotnick on the show and he was he's a uh, president of uh, big fish game but he was in charge of amazon games he he brought twitch to market he brought uh, prime games to market he worked directly with jeff bezos and when he was on the show he said you know tim jeff used to ask me one question larry is it a billion dollar idea <laughs> we don't we we don't have time for the the other ones is that a great question
1: yeah it's a great question it's uh, absolutely it's a, great question
0: there's certain clarity there's a certain amount of clarity so let me ask you this so you you've done some amazing things you've got a book out there you've company you're your're sought after speaker um you, I mean, you a beautiful family. You have all these things. What are you most proud of
1: when you look well, at back? The end of the day, when I look back, I mean, I'm I'm most I'm most proud of my kids. Um, it's for me the greatest achievement of my life. Um, you know the the ability. They're still
0: young. To, they're still young. They're still young. <laughs> <laughs> they,
1: Give them so, time. For me, I, <laughs> I, I I might be in that beautiful bubble of of uh, innocence and of, of small children, but you know that for me that it that is the, you know where that is the greatest joy of my life. You know, if I look at my career, you know specifically though, you know I think what I treasure the most is you know comes back to the ability to b- help bring clarity to people to, to help them establish a path towards the success that they're looking for in their life. It's to me, that is the greatest joy that I get out of my work. Um, it's, you know, kind of for what you were talking about earlier, like these things aren't easy. They're very difficult things to do. And, uh, you know, the ability to help people with that is because I've made a lot of the mistakes myself. And, um, so I, I approach it with, uh, you know, just an, an open mind and an open heart and saying okay these are tough things let's start working the problem and let's understand what the pieces need to look like you know when we talk about vision what does a great vision look like versus a vision i mean there's a million templates out there to do uh, create a product vision or a you know mission for a company but what does great look like you know when we talk about you know starting to set up the Ability to have a voice of the customer that is integrated in the culture of a company. What does great look like? What does that really represent? Not just on the surface. Getting into that detail to me is in seeing then what people are able to do with those things is just to me, uh, it's enthralling. Like I'm just, I'm obsessed. It, it feels like I'm not even working. I'm like a kid. Uh, you know, on, on Christmas morning, it's just, it's so fun to see what people can do when they are able to get to that point and they get through that process. Um, cause it unlocks all of their other gifts, uh, once they, they have that, if that's where they're struggling. And so that to me is just, that's what I enjoy most about the work that I do in my career.
0: That's, that's amazing. You know, I teach you about the kids and and as a father of five, and uh this month my oldest son uh got married, and uh him and his wife Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It was amazing. Uh, but him and his wife asked me to um, or at the time fiance, to officiate their wedding. And um, you know, obviously I was honored to do it, but I gotta tell you, the sense of pride uh and it was like this, like a movie. It happened so quick as he walked up. It was like, I saw him the first time I held him, uh, at sunny, uh, uh Sunnyside Kaiser hospital where he was born. And it just was like, this went in fast motion all the way to him standing there as a man, um, being, married to this amazing beautiful woman. it was just it was it was it, you talk about pride, like, you know, to hell with work and everything else and uh, all those <laughs> other accomplishments. That's a really amazing moment. And um it, it just I don't know, Jonathan, it just gets better and better. You know, be I, I'm with you. Being a father, I, I have five children, one grandchild, it is my greatest accomplishment. And to see them today and what they're becoming and the way that they look at the world and the things that they're accomplishing is, and they've had their trials and they've had their tribulations and they've had their, like we all have. Um, But to see them come out of it um, and, and, you know, they come out of it with the love and the support and that's, that's the paycheck as a parent. It, it, It really is to, to see them become these adults that, contribute back to the world in such meaningful ways. It's, it's, uh, it's a little overwhelming. I'll get really emotional about it. So, um, and I had that experience with my son and it was, it was, uh, it was really unbelievable. Um, I did not expect it to affect me that way. And it, it really did. Um, so cool. I, 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 uh, I admire you a lot. Uh, I think that, was probably one of the best answers I've ever got to that question but <laughs> I, I I admire you a lot I like how you uh, obviously the family but you dovetailed it into your work uh, which is is great who, who do you admire out there you're you're out on the on the speaking you're talking to companies you're you're working with lots of CEOs you're working with companies trying to help them improve the what their product through your experiences and through your work. Um, but who, who out there do you admire? Is there anybody?
1: Well, uh, I have a two part answer to that one because it's, it's, I mean, uh, there are so many amazing leaders out there. Um, but I would say that there's, there's a type of person that I admire to the nth degree. And that is that entrepreneurial person who that is that constant learner. Who puts themselves on the line every single day, not knowing if the decision they're making is going to get them to that success point that they're looking for. We're going to be able to cover payroll or being able to, you know, they're carrying the weight of an entire organization and an idea. And I'm just so, I think the courage it takes to get out there and try that and to do that and then to build a team around you is just incredible. And so I have this incredible admiration for the entrepreneur that I'm very, very passionate about learning from as much as I possibly can um, every day. And if I have to pick an individual, um, I'm going to go back to, to Stephen M. R. Covey. I have found him to be a source of inspiration, uh, wisdom, and very grounded, practical sense. You know, he he's done it at scale. Um, you know, I think he's something like 25x his father's company when he took over uh, Cubby. Mm-hmm. He's incredibly successful, but more importantly, he is he he he's a very wise person. And I think there's a lot to learn uh, from leaders like him.
0: Well, he learned from one of the best. I was a student of Covey. I was certified in the uh, Covey What Matters. Well, it was Franklin Covey What Matters what, what Matters Most. Back in the day when Franklin, you I don't even know if you remember this, but there used to be the Franklin Planner.
1: Oh, yeah. And I, had, I had one of those. Ben,
0: <laughs> yeah. After Ben Franklin, right? Everybody had their planner. And they had a way, a method in which kept you organized. And then I believe they merged with Covey and it became Franklin Covey. And they then merged that program called What Matters Most. And yes, it was how you use the book. But it, but again, it was What Matters Most. And yeah. it was a time management philosophy that really was the kind of the beginning of this work-life balance. Because that's, you know, uh, uh, Covey talked about sharpening the saw, taking time to sharpen the saw. So many people try to cut through the tree, where if you just stop for a few minutes and sharpen the saw, and that's that downtime, that's that creative time. I, I always compare it to downshifting. Yes, you can take the hill in fifth gear. But if you just take the time to put the cr- clutch and go to third, fourth, and f- second, you'll go up the hill faster, and there'll be less wear and tear on the on the organization. But some people just insist on doing taking the hill at fifth gear. They don't want to, yep. you know, because they're they're afraid to slow down. They're afraid to sharpen the saw to use a covey. That's fantastic. I I I, I feel like it's generational because, you know, I was. I was a student of Covey. I, I went to, to to Utah. I got certified in What Matters Most. Uh, I walked those the hallways of the Covey Institute. Um, and to be really, really honest, until you said, I didn't realize that his son had taken over, because I know I know um, he was uh, killed in a bicycle accident um, a few years ago. Well, probably now, probably many years ago. I don't. I lose track of time, but I had no idea that his son had taken
1: over the organization. Yeah, he had, uh, well, he he had taken things over uh, while his father was still alive. And really was, uh, I think he was actually, I don't know if this is 100%. But if I remember correctly, I think he was actually the catalyst for the merger between Covey and and Franklin. Oh, okay. um, And that was, uh, you know, but his his work has been incredible and uh, was definitely a, a big influence in you know, the direction that the the book took as well, just because I think there's, you know, like all of these great, you know, works that have been put out there on, around leadership, there's, they're looking at it at, from a different angle or a different perspective. And each one just is invaluable in its own right. Yep.
0: So Jonathan, who, like, I'm sure you get this question all the time, but when, you, when you're either doing a speaking engagement or you're, What advice would you give a new executive or a new entrepreneur?
1: Oh, it's such a good question. I think if I was to, because we've covered a lot of other topics, I think the the one thing that comes to mind the most is the understanding of optimism versus expectation. And I think this is, if you're a new executive as since you asked about that, that type of role, or you're, um, you know, working into that, it's very important, I think, to make sure that optimism is not misinterpreted as expectation. And I think we come in very bullish often into these new roles and into these experiences. And that optimism is, you know, It's part grit, it's excitement, it has all of these things you want to achieve something great. But if it's not tempered with honest and clear expectations, it can very often uh, be misconstrued. And I think that that's a way you set yourself up and those that are uh, follow you um, for failure. And so I think it's really important that you have a balance of optimism with those expectations and you really focus on that clarity and focus that needs to come, uh, from your leadership. Uh,
0: you know, uh, I think I have tried to articulate that before and, uh, I've never been able to quite get it, uh, or to articulate that you articulated that because you see that so often, right? They they come in, you know, bull in the China shop and, that only lasts a certain, a little bit of time. And, and it's tempering those two things. I think, I think you need both. I think you said it well, I think you need both. That, that is great advice. That's, that's worth the, the, the ticket price right there.
1: That, that it's, it's a tricky one, right? You know, you can, um, I've, I've, you know, seen where you have, uh, you know, Activist shareholders who oust the CEO because they misconstrued that optimism for a promise of perform rights. I've seen, you know, it happen with a startup and working with their venture capital partners and, you know, seeing how the relationship erodes instead of this, you know, partnership um, that, you know, that was establishing the foundation of the relationship towards mutual success. It's It's one of these things that I think you know, especially every young um, or new executive needs to really step back and think think through. How do they balance that expectation and optimism? Go. I am
0: sensing a second book in you, my friend.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, help me carve out some time and we'll, we'll elaborate. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 I think that's a fascinating uh, I think it's a, f- I, 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 you know, as you describe it, yes, so many, especially in the startup worlds, once they bring in capital, the, the optimism attracted the capital, but now the capital has clear expectations.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, how, it's, how, again, it how do you back to alignment? Yeah
0: and alignment so let me ask you that so, so i'm going to test myself here so that's the uh, the alignment between the, the the capital and the and the company
1: yeah so that would be organizational alignment right so if you're talking yep. uh, about that it's like well um alignment is looking at our resources which could be time capital uh you know our team um, and how that aligns towards the objectives that we have
0: that's what I love about this podcast. I learn something every day. Every time I do a show, I learn something new. I, you know, I've always considered myself a lifetime student. I feel like I'm, you know, I'll be learning till the day I die. I, I, I just, I, and I love to learn. So uh, this has been fantastic. Let me ask you one last question before uh, before our time comes to an end here. If you could share one story or memory that influenced who you are and what you're doing today, what would it be?
1: Ooh, one story, you know, one of, one of the most uh, profound memories that I have in my career is actually early on. Uh, I was I had one of my first mentors. He's actually a history professor, and he ran the computer lab uh, at the community college. And I think, you know, that relationship with Bruce was so profound to have a mentor who took really a passionate interest in seeing me grow. And was also uh, at all times challenging me to be better. And I think that, you know, the, the importance of mentorship is, is so invaluable. And I remember asking him You know, why was he putting in all that time? And he said, well, it's a two-way street. I'm, you know, I love mentoring you, but I get something back because you push back. I get something from the mentorship too, and you're helping me grow. And that's just one of my favorite memories. And that's something that I've taken forward. Um, You know, I'm always still at this point in my career, seeking mentors and opportunities to learn. And to work with people that are going to push me, and I find that that hunger, as soon as that's gone, I probably need to retire. <laughs> um, so,
0: well, I well, I don't think you'll ever lose it. I think it's how you're <laughs> wired. I, I think it's uh, you know, so, some people just enjoy this, and and uh, and you know, I, I I've always said I've never had a job, and because I do what I love. And I don't, I don't know. I just, I've never had a job. And, uh, I, I, I absolutely love and, you know, run. And I think for me, it's, if it ever becomes what I do in between weekends, I don't want to do it anymore. And I just, you know, my work is my passion and, and I've been very fortunate in my life that, you know, I've been able to make a couple nickels and, uh, and do what I love to do, and I, I consider myself very fortunate. And I think you're, you're in that boat, um, Jonathan. Thank you so much. I I really really appreciate the conversation. I appreciate you coming on the show. One of the the one of the ignitions for this podcast was my relationship with Dave. Uh, that spanned some thirty years. He was the best man in my wedding, the the best friend, and I'm being a bit redundant. I think my listeners know the 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 reason for this show <clears throat> but the reason that my relationship with Dave was so was we could spend hours on the phone just talking uh about any kind of topics and um one of the things that i know is that dave could have joined us on this call today and i probably wouldn't have got two cents in i think you two would have just gone down and, uh, it's, it's, uh, today has been very much like talking to Dave and I, I really, really appreciate that not to put too much pressure on you, but <laughs> I, it's, it's really, it's really been like, uh, some of the conversations that him and I used to have. And, uh, I, I so appreciate that as the show is, uh, you know, some of it's, uh, cathartic and some of it is, uh, you know, to share information and, and to, to share interesting people like yourself with the with a whole new audience and uh so i just really appreciate you being on the show and uh i i'm so thankful that uh i have met you and uh and that i can consider you a friend
1: i'm so honored to uh to know you tim and uh again thank you so much for this this time it was i just i love all of our conversation (laughs) and uh i consider you a, a dear friend as well and uh this, this was absolutely a blast. Um, thank you so much for, for having the opportunity.
0: You bet, man. I'll talk to you soon. Okay.
1: All right. Take
0: care. Bye-bye.